The Big Ten should want Florida State, but will they? That's the question. You are locked on college football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On College Football. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is your daily source to stay up to date with the biggest stories in the greatest sport on planet Earth every day. Realignment, transfer portal, coaching carousel, all that and more. We've got you covered. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers join today and you'll get $150 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins, visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get yourself started. Something that I'm going to go on an absolute heater of a rant coming up later in the show. And perhaps the number one quarterback in the 2025 cycle has set five visits that uh, you should definitely know about. But we start with Florida State because this is absolutely the biggest story in college sports. They are the team that can set off the next round of realignment. They appear determined to do so. Whether they end up in the Big Ten or the SEC, that much hasn't been made clear. But if I'm the Big Ten, if I'm Tony Petiti, the commissioner of the Big Ten Conference, I am eyeballing Florida State. I've already made a phone call. If if I were Tony Petiti, I already would have picked up the phone and said, hey, are you interested in coming to our conference over here? Because in this particular environment that we have entrenched ourselves in, think of it whatever you would like. It is one in which you are either the hunter or the hunted. Now, there is this illusion at some level. It's reality for now that the SEC and the Big Ten are the power to. They're united. They're working to solve the issues in college football. They're going to fix stuff. They're going to make it happen. They're, They're together on this sort of stuff. They might break away on their own. It's the SEC and the Big Ten. But if things kind of settle down, or continue to consolidate, if we get to a two-conference model, a la the NFL, which is where college football could absolutely be headed one day, it's not going to be like the AFC and the NFC. There's still going to be a competitive element in which you have different television partners and different incentives and different rules for these two conferences, and your object as a conference at that point is hunt or be hunted, is to be the top dog that you can be. Have the best lineup of teams, have the best product, have the best television product specifically. And if you introduce Florida State into the Big Ten and you can somehow convince Notre Dame, which I'll get to in just a moment, that would be a power move from the Big Ten solidified to solidify themselves as the number one conference in college football. Yeah, they could they could pass the SEC. They could absolutely pass the SEC if you had those two brands from a television market stranglehold, you would expand the region on the East Coast to include Florida State. You would dip into television-wise the southern part of the country where the SEC currently, of course, has the stranglehold. But the Big Ten made a move in the last round of realignment to go out west to get Los Angeles. Then they brought in Oregon and Washington at a reduced rate. And they've got Maryland and Rutgers in the conference. You know why they're there primarily? Because of the television markets that they provide, the geography that they provi- they provide, and they are like-minded universities. And so when, when you look at Florida State and the potential of, I mean, Notre Dame, of course, anybody and everybody would want Notre Dame in their conference for obvious reasons, the television value notwithstanding. But that's, of course, perhaps the principal region, reason because that's driving all of this sort of stuff. 
if you're the Big Ten and you want to make the next big aggressive move, they, they've made a big aggressive move. But the, the SEC has countered. Getting Texas and Oklahoma, not only is that a marquee game that everybody wants to watch every single year that you now get to put on your television networks and have branded as part of the SEC, you, you get to have those teams. You get to have those markets. You get to have that part of the country. They're expanding their foothold. But the Big Ten, the advantage that it has over the SEC right now from a competitive standpoint is that they go coast to coast. The SEC doesn't. It's still regional. So if, if the Big Ten continues to grow, continues to expand, and they go get a Florida State, well, suddenly you open a whole host of possibilities from a conference competition standpoint. Now, Notre Dame would be the power move to, to move with Florida State if you were the Big Ten. That'd be your dream scenario. And the hiccup that that could face is that the rest of Notre Dame sports outside of football compete in the Atlantic Coast Conference. And so there is an arrangement in there in which Notre Dame has to join the ACC if they do join a conference in football. Otherwise, they need to stay independent. But here's, here's something that we're apparently learning. Florida State is desperately trying to get out of the ACC. They may very well succeed. If they do that and they can get out of that particular deal, tell me why Notre Dame couldn't get out. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not pretending to have read all the fine print and the legal documents and everything that that would entail. But from the outside looking in, the way it appears to me, is that Florida State is more contractually bound to the ACC than Notre Dame since Florida State is currently playing football in the conference. So if Notre Dame really wanted to make it happen, I think they could. It would certainly take some negotiation from the Big Ten. But if you want to make the next power move in college football, Florida State is the team to do it with. And Notre Dame would be the team to pair them with. And look, is Florida State necessarily the type of institution or university that the Big Ten typically adds? Not necessarily, but here's what I also know about the Big Ten. They just added the University of Oregon. And when you look at things like academic ranking and research dollars, Oregon is not exactly at the top of the conference. They're a lot closer to the bottom in many ways. They do have AAU status, which is something that matters at some level to the Big Ten because as I will repeat from now until the end of time, presidents vote on realignment. That's how you got Cal and Stanford in the ACC instead of Oregon State and Washington State. But the Big Ten, which has a lot of very proud, academically strong and prominent universities in it, Notre Dame fits that mold perfectly. Florida State, maybe not quite as much. But if they were willing to add Oregon, I think they'd be willing to add Florida State. Because the interests of a conference, though those academic concerns are certainly present, they can be superseded. We have seen that with a football-driven move. Adding Oregon is a football-driven move. If it were all about the academic standards, which I, I do think can factor into these discussions, they did for the Pac-12, they have for you know the ACC, as I mentioned, then the Big Ten would have gone to get Stanford along with Washington not Oregon. Stanford is more of a Big Ten school. They have a small football stadium and they don't have as proud of a tradition there. That's how Oregon got the advantage, plus their association with Washington. But that is a much more, that is, that's a much stronger cultural fit into the Big Ten. So if you want to make a television-driven move, you go get Florida State, you try to convince Notre Dame, you look at the legal situation, say, hey, take your time. I mean, Florida State's 
looking like they want to get out sooner rather than later. But does there have to be a timeline? I mean, the, the college football playoff is set for the next two years. So really, you need to have this stuff figured out by the 2026 season, which <laughs> we don't have anything figured out for the 2026 season. Quite, quite literally nothing at all as it were, as it pertains to the playoff, which I'll talk about a little bit later on the show. But this Florida State situation is wild. And if I were the Big Ten, I, I would be on the phone. I'd say, hey, if you're able to get out of this, once you come to a settlement, whatever that is with the ACC about, you know, we're going to leave for this much or we're going to leave in this year or it's going to cost this many hundreds of millions of dollars. If you're the Big Ten and you can make the finances work and, and they're, they're deemed to be an accretive institution for your television deal, if Notre Dame is going to stay independent, all right, so be it. You go down the next, you go down the line on the ACC. You always want to be making the next move because it feels like in the realignment space, if you're not making a move, you're falling behind. If you don't have a plan, if you're not adding, then you're losing momentum and schools get very impatient. You look at what happened in the Pac 12. Colorado left before anybody else, including Oregon and Washington. They just got impatient, they were tired of waiting. And you will have that happen. And if, if Florida State is able to negotiate their way out of the ACC, I have a hard time seeing they'll be the only school that moves. If it were Florida State and Notre Dame and they went to the Big Ten, which Florida State would absolutely take, by the way. I, I don't think Florida State has a huge preference. They just want to be at the big boys table. They want to be in the power too. That's, that, that's where Florida State's concerns lie, at least in, in my 30-foot view. because they have not expressed a strong interest. They might be a better fit in the SEC. Talked about that with Brian Smith of Locked on Seminoles on yesterday's show. But they're almost certainly going to take a Big Ten offer if it comes along, even if they'd rather be in the SEC. But the SEC has to want them. But if I'm the Big Ten, I'm plotting the next move. And for those who might say the Big Ten doesn't want to add, the Big Ten won't do this, that, and the other thing. Once upon a time, the Big Ten, with their current commissioner, said, mm, "No, we're not gonna. We're not adding any more schools. We're not looking at Oregon or Washington. We're not doing anything like that." And then they came along for the right price, as they say in Ocean's Eleven. That perfect hand comes along, and you bet big, and you take the house. And in this instance, it was betting small and getting a big reward. Oregon, Washington, big time game, big time brands, expand your West Coast footprint, great television products as well. And you get them at half price compared to the rest of the conference and don't have to pay them a full media ride share for six or seven years. And so would Florida State come in for that? I don't know. Probably not, because one of the reasons they want to get out of the ACC is they don't want to fall behind financially. That's the appeal of the SEC and the Big Ten fundamentally to, to Florida State, because as I've talked about before, the football aspect doesn't make any sense. You should want to stay in the ACC where you can be a big fish in a small pond and ensure access to the playoff and a greater chance of getting a top four seed and a buy in the playoff every single season if you were Florida State. I mean, they're the number one football brand in that conference right now. I take them over Clemson because Florida State actually uses the transfer portal and Clemson does not. But the financial component cannot be overlooked. We're talking tens of millions of dollars a year. They don't want to fall behind on that front. They want to be amongst the power players in college football. And if I'm the Big Ten, I'd capitalize on that and say, you know what? If the SEC won't pursue you aggressively, then we will. Speaking of the college football playoff, <sighs> this just needs to stop. It just needs to stop, everybody. 
You need to start checking out Ibotta, though, because grocery bills are so very expensive these days. They're ridiculous, but now they don't have to be. Start getting cash back on your grocery shopping with a with the free Ibotta app and get cash back every time you shop. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop on hundreds of items from groceries to beauty supplies to toys. So you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. The average Ibotta user earns $256 per year. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. You can buy that flight you've been eyeing, that game you're dying to go to, or the fancy dinner that you have been craving. You can make it happen with Ibotta. Join their over 50 million users and shop from over 2,700 brands and retailers, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering offering our listeners just $5 for trying Ibotta using the code Locked On College when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back and use code Locked On College. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store. Use code Locked On College. This has to stop. Are you happy with yourself, college football playoff expansionists, of which I am not? I would go back to the BCS before I signed off on a 12-team college football playoff. There have already been discussions amongst the college football playoff board of directors and presidents that are involved and athletic directors and whatnot about going beyond 12. Remember what I said just before we began this second segment on today's show. Nothing about the college football playoff is set for 2026 and beyond. Absolutely, positively nothing. Not the television deal, not the number of teams, not the number of automatic qualifying spots. None of it is set. They're figuring it all out. And so now that we've cracked the door open on expansion, as so many in the sport have wanted for such a long time, which makes the regular season far less interesting, still great, but far less interesting. They're already talking about a 14 or 16 team playoff. And former uh, president of Fox Sports, Bob Thompson, tweeted out that he feels like it's going to get to a 16 team playoff pretty quickly. I hope you're happy, everyone. I hope you're happy. And so as these moves have transpired, what has been part of the conversation is, well, who's going to get in? How are they going to be able to get in? And the SEC and the Big Ten, there's that power two tandem once again, they're trying to get more automatic qualifying bursts, which, oh my gosh, I don't even like the current automatic qualifying burst. There should be no automatic qualifiers for anything in the college football playoff, ever. I don't want a single solitary thing to be determined by, well, you won your conference over here. So a pair of nine and three Big 12 teams square off in the conference championship game. And you're telling me the team that wins and goes 10 and three with, you know, maybe two non-conference losses and no non-conference wins against a power four institution is better than a 10 and two or 11 and one SEC team or Big 10 team that didn't get to the conference title game. Is that what you're telling me? Because that that's the system that you're that you're drawing up here. You're telling me that a nine and three champ that wins should should have a better postseason chance than than a team that goes ten and two with an SEC schedule. Look at Florida's schedule and look at Colorado's schedule, and tell me that those two things are even close to the same. They are not. So automatic qualifiers are ridiculous. 
But here we are. Before the 12-team playoff has even begun, they are talking about the possibility of more. And I am just getting more and more ensconced, infuriated, and livid at this sport, which I love so very dearly. None of this comes from a place of being anti-establishment or just something to yell about in February or anything like that. College football, outside of March Madness, its regular season is number one, the best of any sport. But the college football regular season is the greatest sporting event in the world outside of March Madness. That has been a belief of mine since I was just a wee lad. And frankly, I haven't grown that much since then. But I have... Between the ears, I think, I hope, possibly, maybe. Okay, anyway, so I think that for the playoff committee to already be talking about this is indicative of why they shouldn't have expanded to 12 teams in the first place. Because the expansion was never driven by what is best for the sport, by what's going to deliver the best product to consumers. It was driven by what's going to generate the most money for people who most of us can't even name off the top of our heads And most of the money goes to places that we're never going to see as individuals. And so I am assessing this from a standpoint of what makes for a better college football product. This does not. This does not in any way, shape, or form. No, the 12-team playoff is already diminishing the regular season. You are going to have two two lost teams. I mean, they're going to get in every year. That's that's standard operating procedure because the SEC and the Big Ten have consolidated with these super conferences. And look. It even makes more sense. I can admit that when you have a a realignment SEC and a realignment Big Ten that have 16 and 18 teams respectively, yeah, allowing two lost teams to get in, does it some fundamental make sense? You know what should happen? You shouldn't have made all these moves, but they've made all these moves because the almighty dollar is very powerful. Money talks, and you know what walks straight out the door and is never welcome back again. So for the college football playoffs, I just look at a 12-team playoff and say, that's too many. You're going to have two and three lost. T- what, what happened to the value of losses? Think about Alabama under Nick Saban. When they've lost over the years, that's an event. That's something you have to see. That's something that you feel, not just in Tuscaloosa, but beyond. When the Chiefs lose a regular season game, do you feel it? No, you you only feel it if Mahomes and Andy Reid lose in the playoffs, which apparently they don't do anymore. But college football regular season losses are felt in living rooms and in stadiums and in tailgate parking lots all across this great country. But that is is reduced. It is minimized when you say two and three lost teams could get in. If you're going to a four a 14-team playoff or a 16-team playoff, get ready. Remember who was ranked for a lot of last year? 8-4 and four Tennessee. Get ready for 8-4 and four SEC teams to have a chance to get into a 16-team playoff. Because anyone who thinks outside of the SEC and the Big Ten, they're being helped by a potentially expanded playoff, you are lying to yourself or you are misinformed. Because in no way... Whether you have more automatic qualifiers in the SEC and Big Ten or whether you don't, those expanded spots go anywhere else. Because when you've consolidated the sport like this and you have made it such a messy proposition, the way that this wonderful, beautiful, 
majestically great sport has managed to do because people who are running it don't actually care about the sport itself and the products on the field for the people who are actually, you know, paying the bills to keep the lights on. And that's the fans. This is the situation you find yourself in, in which you are taking something that has made the sport unique and great and special and wonderful, and you are draining its value. You are draining its value. And if you're in the, in the ACC or if you're in the Big 12, a potential further expansion of the playoff only gets us closer to the Big 2 conferences breaking away from everyone altogether. I said earlier on the show, if I were the Big 10, I would go out and get Florida State and I'd try to get Notre Dame. You know why? Because that's what's going to make you the most money. That's what's going to make you an even bigger power broker in the sport. But the possibility of those two conferences breaking away, that inches closer when you expand because if they're dominating the playoff, you're getting a G5, an ACC, and a Big 12 champion in there, and then you've got 13 Big 10 SEC teams, what does that generate? A feeling of, we don't actually need you here. What are you doing here? You're not on the same level. It's not good. It's not good. 12 is already too many. Enough already with all this expansion. Recruiting is a 24-7, 365 endeavor, folks. And if you want Julian Lewis, maybe the number one quarterback in the 2025 cycle, you better start recruiting him now, and you better start recruiting him hard because he's got a, a visit list coming up. Yeah, they got some heavy hitters on that particular lineup of teams. First, though, today's episode of Locked On College Football is brought to you by FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. It's that simple. Just go pick any money line game that you think is going to go in a particular direction in the NBA. Pick against the Pistons, for instance, or the Spurs. They're not very good. The Blazers, not, not, not very good. Bet against them, five bucks, it hits, boom. 150 bucks in bonus bets. You can bet on all your favorite NBA players and everything college football related to and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash locked on to shoot your shot. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Brian Smith, our Locked On Recruiting Insider here at the network, joining me here on Locked On College Football, brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Julian Lewis, a guy that has reclassified from the 2026 cycle, might still be the top quarterback in the 2025 class, just dropped his visit dates. And Brian, it's about as loaded as it gets in a lot of high profile schools and coaches as he looks to take his collegiate visits. Yeah, this is a pretty interesting deal because he's been committed to SC for a while. Obviously, the passing game with that particular offense is pretty good. And Julian's as accurate as you're going to find. I was talking to somebody the other day. He might be one of the top three quarterbacks the high school I've ever seen, just putting the ball where it needs to go. So it obviously fits Lincoln and all the things they do. But he's got visits coming up here with some other schools. Alabama on the 8th of March, Georgia on the 14th of March, 16th of March is Auburn, Colorado on the 22nd, and then back out to SC on the 30th. So pretty wide-ranging list, depending on how you want to look at it, and uh, his recruitment is going to go all the way to signing day, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, he's just one of those guys where you're going to get a major push from every staff, and no one's going to kind of, you know, half ass this thing. They're not going to say, ah, oh, you know, if he comes here, great. If not, like, 
this is a recruitment oh. that you have to put on the full court press from the jump. And you've got some heavy hitters here, both with their recruiting brands and the head coaches going after Lewis. Yeah, Kirby Smart, uh, I've been told, is not going to take another quarterback until he knows what Julian wants to do, which makes me wonder, well, maybe Kirby knows more about his timeline than I do. I would hope so. But at the same time, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, Florida, there's plenty of quarterbacks down here that UGA would normally take. But the number one kid is an hour and a half from your campus. I get it. And it, it probably sticks in his crawl that a West Coast school currently has him committed. Alabama obviously just hired Kalen DeBoer. I don't know if you've heard, but he's pretty good with the passing game. Uh, There's rumors about that. Then you have Auburn, which you freeze is one of the best play callers in college football and has done wonders with certain quarterbacks. And then finally you have Deion Sanders, which that's its own entity. And I don't know how to define it, but his kid's a hell of a quarterback. So he's going to be able to sell that. And at the end of the day, I'm sure there's always a wild card out there. So We'll see if somebody else can get involved too. When I look at at the lineup of teams that are after him, it's definitely a group of schools that, as you mentioned, has got a really good recent track record with quarterbacks. Kalen DeBoer going back to Indiana with Michael Penix, Jake Hayner, Fresno State, Penix again up at Washington, Lincoln Riley. Oh, we don't need to say anything there. He's the quarterback whisperer in college football, number one draft picks and Heisman Trophy winners and contenders are just kind of what he generates at that position every year. Deion Sanders has got his son there right now is really talented, but he's going to be gone. So if Lewis is looking for a place where he can come in and start right away, I think you could perhaps argue the place where he would face the least amount of competition would be Colorado because they're the team of this bunch probably along with Auburn, the least set at quarterback going forward in in the recruiting class that he has since reclassified to. Do you think that that factors into his recruitment at all? I wonder about it. I've only talked with Juju once, and that was about a year ago at the Elite 11 at his high school. And he's a really subdued kid, but like they just don't let him talk to media anymore. So I I don't know for sure, but the sense that I get and from talking to people like Chad Simmons and stuff that are closer to his recruitment, he doesn't fear anything. So I'm not sure depth chart's really that big a deal to him, which is a good sign. And it's one of the reasons I personally like him higher than maybe somebody else might. If you're afraid of competition, you're not a top 10 recruit. That's just kind of my own personal perspective, but nothing really bothers him. It gets kind of like water off a duck's back. He just keeps going no matter what happens. Not saying he doesn't like the opportunity, but look at UGA. Their quarterback position will be open after next year too. So – there's a lot of ways you can look at it. Miller Moss has one or two years left. I mean, after that, he would be the guy at USC. So they're all interesting at, at least, but Juju's just going to do what he wants to do, in my opinion. You you've, you talk about him in glowing terms, and a lot of other people do as well. He's a five-star quarterback for a reason. But what do you see from him when you watch him play and what you see from him on film? Why does he stand out as one of maybe the top quarterbacks in, in the 2025 class? I've seen him live three times and I've watched a ton of his film. And there's one thing that is very consistent and that's his ability to keep his feet where they need to be every freaking rep. It's the same consistency with the balance and that keeps the ball going where it should. He puts the ball out in front in a catchable position over and over again. It's like a robot. And it doesn't matter if he's got somebody in his face. Uh, as a freshman, he threw for like 550 in the 7A state title game in Georgia. So, yeah, literally. So, I mean, they're dudes, in case you didn't know, in Georgia, especially like at that level. And he still found a way to do it without a running game. 
uh, you have this tiny kid out there who's like 5'11", trying to get away from these big guys, and he, he did it. If you're able to score big points in the 6'7", a level at Georgia, even as a senior as a quarterback, you should be proud. He did it as a freshman. Then he just kept going and going and going. He's got 7,200-plus yards in his first two seasons of high school football in Georgia, 96 touchdowns. It's solid. So <laughs> 90, 96, is that total touchdowns running and throwing the ball? Just passing, Correct. just passing. That's a lot. That's a lot of <laughs> touchdowns. What, what does he bring as a prospect though? Who would you perhaps compare him to as a recent high school or, or college prospect going to the NFL? Very easy. Bryce Young. Bryce Young. Okay. Yeah. It's straight is it up. That, is it that it playmaking ability with him that, that makes him such you know, an appealing quarterback and the accuracy with which he delivers the football. Cause when I think Bryce young, that's what I think of is instinctual playmaker and accurate thrower of the football with, with good timing. I would say that's very accurate. And even their demeanors are the same. I met Bryce in LA a couple of years ago and I asked him to give me a Nick Saban story and he's pretty cerebral kind of laid back. It's like Juju just takes after him. He's like the exact same thing. He thinks everything through, comes up with an answer, and gives out a computer kind of answer that answers everything in all in one sentence. He's just very, very calculated with whatever he does. And that's probably one of the reasons Bryce was so good. I mean, he gets the SEC competition. You know, 20, they were good, and they won the title. The first two times that he had a chance to, to be the, the guy, they weren't as good, didn't have as many players, but he still made up for it. In such like that Texas game, Juju can kind of do those things too. So – I think he'll make a team better, even if he doesn't go to Georgia. If he went to Colorado, they would be a four-win team, and they'd jump up to eight. Like, he can win you games in those close situations that Colorado always seems to come a little short. He'd find a way to make it. A third and eight play is no big deal to him. Fourth and one, if he has to run, he'll make it. Whatever it is, he'll figure it out. USC, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, Colorado. Who do you feel like has the lead? USC is where he he's verbally committed to, is what you said earlier, but – does it feel like something that, that the Trojans are capable of losing to one of these other schools? Like how, how set do you feel like he is on the Trojans? I don't think he's set anywhere, but right now, if I had to pick, I'd say woof, woof. Um, it's, it's dogs. Like they're, they're trending pretty hard. And how often does Kirby really lose the kid that he wants? I mean, like in-state kid, it's maybe every two or three years. Like this would be a hard one to take too. I get it. But, it's a quarterback as well. Like he's all in. He's went to visit him several times. They have a close relationship and it's just closer. So the other part is they just took six offensive linemen in their last class. One of the greatest offensive line classes I've ever seen. I'm sure his father has discussed that with his son. So I would like that if I was Juju, just saying. It turns out having good weapons, which you'll probably have at Georgia, and a great offensive line also tend to help quarterbacks. Usually we talk about that in the context of the NFL, but Georgia being the NFL talent machine that it is, I, I think it's fairly comparable anyway there. So that's where things stand for now with Julian Lewis, five-star quarterback in the 2025 cycle. Brian Smith, our Locked On Recruiting Insider, brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Brian, thanks so much. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time, whenever and wherever that may be. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.